0: Spring Washam, June 9th, Part Two. June 9, 2016, Spring Washam.
1: Tonight, talking about what we're doing on our spiritual path anyway. Like, what are we doing? So we might need to shut the door. We can if we want, and, as people come in. So I just wanted to spend some time talking about a teaching that's called the Ten Parames. Paramis is a word translated as power. So you can say the Ten Powers or is also a word translated as perfection so this is like the ten perfections i think i like the ten perfections but and these are qualities of heart and mind that we develop and the idea is that you develop them till they become powers on the spiritual path these actually become your qualities that you develop by doing mindfulness practice by leading a spiritual life and I think that it was worthwhile to talk about it. It's kind of a lot. So I'm going to talk about them quickly and then I'm going to highlight a couple of the ones that I'm particularly working on. Because at each stage of your life, you may take on one of these and cultivate it intentionally. And you know that's what we're doing throughout our whole spiritual life is we're cultivating. You gotta look at yourself like a gardener. You're cultivating, you're tilling your soil in your mind. Right, you're tilling it first it's hard and clay and packed and there's like old cigarette butts stuck in it and coke bottles and right you go in there and it's like ah most people don't want to be in their mind. Hence people don't like the present moment. Right? It's hard. Even somewhere like this, you know, someone guiding a thirty minute meditation a little bit, we sit here and we watch the mind, it's like, ah, it's kinda chaotic. Or it's so un it just the mind has a mind of its own.
0: <laughs>
1: Often, the, the, there was this funny cartoon one time where this guy goes into a psychiatrist and he has one of these, like those monkeys that go like this, you know. And he was like, "I found this in my head, right?" <laughs> it's <was> like excellent. <laughs> we all have that crazy monkey in our head, right? We can't hear anything. It's just chaos in there. So we're always cultivating on this path. We want to do two things. We want to plant the seeds of happiness and freedom. This is very key. This is what the Buddha talked about. There's seeds that must be planted in order to be liberated person, in order to be a happy person. A wise person knows the difference between the seeds to happiness and the seeds to suffering. I would say that's a clear definition of wise being, wouldn't you? Right. And they're no longer planting the seeds of misery, pain, suffering, hell realms. They're like, aha, I got it. These are the ones that we want to plant. So these paramis are those seeds. That's what we want to go forward with. We want to learn this. We want to cultivate. We want to let go of the habit of planting those seeds that lead to pain. And we want to become the gardeners in tilling our soil appropriately, planting the seeds that lead to happiness, freedom, joy, not only for ourselves, but for all beings. I want to say that again, not only for ourselves, but for all beings, because your trees that are growing affect not only you. We can see this now in the world, can't we? <laughs> One crazy mind can affect a vast number of people. <laughs> When awake mind also affecting a vast number of people, it's your choice. You see the seeds clearly there, right? Wow, he's cultivating those, she's cultivating those, or he, whatever. Right? You can see the difference in what you get at the end of the day. Right? And we want to be those people who are seeing clearly with wisdom. Because we want to be free and happy. But we have to know the causes of happiness. It's not enough just to want to be happy. You have to know what the causes are. You could wish and wish and wish and wish and do the same action that are. It's like we're a boat tied to a, ba, a, a you know the dock, and we're trying and trying to row, but we're tied. So you could be putting a lot of effort in, but if you're not understanding this core teaching, then you're not you're not going to grow the way you could. The garden is just not going to flourish the way that it, it it can. It has to have a certain type of moisture. You can put seeds into beautiful amazing fruit seeds of trees into great soil and they'll grow but if you put that same seed into dead soil it will die it needs support and so we're watering our minds so we're, we're gardeners we're tilling all the time and your practice is meant to be that our meditation practice over time transforms our mind and then therefore our therefore our actions are transformed you're only acting from what your mind is telling you, right? And everything comes from here, right? Think with a clear mind, clear actions follow. When the monkey's in charge, not so good, right? We know this on some level. This is clear. We, we do know this. So I'm not telling you anything that you don't know. So the Buddha is an interesting life because it's a legend, or you could you know, and I always tell people to relate to the Buddha in whatever way makes sense for you. For me, sharing with people who have many different practices, maybe they have some Christianity, mysticism, some Hinduism, a little bit of this, some Sufi dancing, African dance classes, yoga, that's us, right? So you could just look at the Buddha as a psychiatrist.
0: <laughs>
1: this person knew about the mind. My gosh, he really did. We studied teachings are all like very specific, like how you perceive reality and how this, it's like, oh my gosh, this person really looked at consciousness. And he didn't care about who you were your class, your orientation, he was like, you can be free. If you have a mind, you can follow a path to get free. So that's very interesting. So look at the teachings as just that. Other people, they'll feel more, they'll resonate deeper. But I just wanna phrase that because a lot of people are new to Buddhist-based philosophy, but you don't have to become something to know about this. You don't have to wear beads, you don't have to shave your head, you don't have to chant. None of that, this is about being real right here, right now. We're in Oakland. We're lay people, (laughs) right? We're not in the mountains on the mountaintop, although we made some visit there, but let's just be practical. How can this help you here and now? That's kind of all I'm really interested in anymore. How do I cut through? And we apply this to our life now. So these ten paramis, they're pointers. And the Buddha had an interesting way of teaching because, as you know, he taught rebirth. Rebirth meaning this truth in his mind or in the, the truth that a lot of Christians have of this is not your first life. You know, this is one of many lives. And so when he would travel and teach throughout India, wandering, he's from India, you know, he was wandering around, he would stop, all through the texts and the suttas, he would stop at various places and then laugh. And then all the monks and nuns would say, what, what, why are we stopping? And he would tell a story, Ah, I was a so-and-so in a past life, and then a whole beautiful teaching story would come. (laughs) I was a merchant, I was this, I was that. Often he told stories about when he was born as animals. And uh, those whole animal teachings uh, are whole books of that, you know, Uh, and beautiful, you know, when he was born an elephant or a parrot or something. So he would always share about his past lives. and his community, particularly his cousin, who was his attendant, would often ask when something negative would happen to somebody, he would ask why, and then when somebody died, he would say, where are they going? Right? And sometimes the Buddha would answer him and that. But also, he only answered though, if it was going to become a teaching. It wasn't just for knowledge. It was like, well, let me explain to you what happened to this person and why they're going here or what's going on with them, why they have all this suffering or what is going on, or he would try to explain it in a way that was a Dharma teaching. And so he would talk about his own rebirth and he would say, for long periods of time, I perfected these 10 qualities. I worked hard, even born as a lowly, you know, blind donkey. I would practice these. He was aware, he said, even an animal, that he was was practicing, 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 because he so wanted these qualities to be perfected. And upon perfection, they say, that leads to awakened consciousness. So I want to go through them, and they're not going to be anything unfamiliar. You know these. I'm just going to remind you, we all know this, but it's funny we forget. And isn't that how it always is with the teachings? You could hear the most profound talk, walk outside, get in your car and be like, what did she say about (laughs) that? The mind is the monkey. It's like banging starts and we're like, what are we doing? I don't know. Even you could have heard the most profound thing with any teacher, right? I, I remember hearing teachings from the Dalai Lama and being like, oh my God, the emptiness. Walking out and being like, oh, what are we doing? Why is this <laughs> happening? And weird message and reacting upon. Why? Right? Because I forgot already. So another word for mindfulness is remembering. We have to remember a trillion times the truth over and over and over. Because just like that, just like that, it goes. Okay? so. Don't feel bad if you forget all of this at, by nine o'clock. It's okay. <laughs> don't try to remember. Just let it somewhere you'll remember this, that you know this, because I'm not saying anything you don't know. Okay, this is all stuff that's in you and in me. The practice again is about removing the obstacles that obscure this, right? The monkey mind isn't who we really are. It's the obscuring mind. It's the mind that clouds the truth. We're the diamond. We just don't recognize that. That's the core teaching as well, right? We're just in a state of forgetting who we really are. So this is very important. So of course the first um, parami is generosity. And it's interesting when teachers from uh, India or Asia come here, they think it's funny that we teach meditation first. They're like, if you go to Thailand or Burma or anywhere in Southeast Asia, they'll go on for teaching for a long time about generosity before you get any meditation instruction. It's just a way that the fabric is woven differently. Like if you know this, then you move on for the next thing. So the second parami, so the first is generosity. The second parami is virtue. So we love that, right, virtue. It's abiding by having the sense of really high ethics for yourself, right? It's not anything that you don't know. It's, it's like when we commit to ethical life, we have to make powerful choices that sometimes the egoic mind's like, right? And we think, no, I live by a sense of ethics. And that's a whole, so that involves the precepts and being aware of intoxicants and telling the truth. So virtue is very, uh, very important. I remember one time I was with a friend on this long retreat with this fierce Burmese side We were, it was just like maybe, it was over 10 years ago. We were on the East Coast. It was a six-week retreat. It was brutal. It was boot camp. Oh, my gosh. You couldn't, we couldn't eat after 11 a.m. in the morning. We were up at like 4 you had to be mindful every second. That was kind of the, and we walk and sit and walk, one hour sitting, one hour walking, one hour sitting, one hour walking. And everybody told me that he could read your mind so no naps were allowed. So anytime <laughs> you're like, he would know. Like if you came in, he'd be like, they'd go through the translator, how many hours did you sleep? And then the person would be like, and then, and then he would just ring the bell, and he wouldn't even talk to you, that was the goodbye. His, his meetings were every day, and they were brutal. If you said any little thing, he'd look like, get out. I mean, kind of like a zen, it was like a zen sashim. Anyway, so I remember I was with my friend. And then he would line everybody up so you could actually sit and hear everyone else's, like, torturous interviews, right? So, it was like, you listen out of, like, morbid curiosity. Like, God, he's so, like, harsh. Uh, and he'd always say he's doing it out of love, you know, whatever. But um, <laughs> So, I had this, Older friend, she was she was um, European woman, and I knew her. And she was going in before me, and her practice was kind of not going very well. I, on the other hand, not to say anything special, but I was like going through all this concentration. I was he was liking my practice a lot, and so she was going before me. And he finally looked at her and he said, "Sila, which is virtue." He was like, "Something's wrong with your. That's why you're not progressing. Your virtue, something." And the monk was translating this. And um, so, three or four weeks over when the retreat you know, ended, I was like, so what do you think he meant? She was like, I know what he meant. And I was like, what? And she said, you know, I sell antiques, I'm an antique dealer, and often I'm very greedy. When I'm mm-hmm. selling things, I overprice, I base on the person, I get hoardy, I've cheated people. And like she was like going on and on. And he was like, oh. he, he was like That's, You can't do this. You either give up that or do that. So, virtue we see is, gives rise to awakened minds. If we're lying, killing, stealing, acting really horrible, and we come to UBMC, we're not going to learn that much, we're not going to progress. Right? And so that was really profound. I was like, wow. It was just something about that that stood out as like virtue. Okay. It's not about anyone else and rules, it's about you awakening your own heart and mind. Okay. So the third one, so first one is generosity, the second one is the perfection of virtue, and then renunciation. So renunciation would be to renounce the monkey. It doesn't, we're not talking about outer renunciation so much is can we renounce our destructive habits and practice some level of, you know, okay, I'm going to put that down. Because you know how we do things that we know tortures us, but we just like, just need one more box of da-da-da, or one more, you know, we're, addic- we're addicts, a lot of us, right? And I think this is what renunciation is. It's like finally we're like, I'm going to put this down. Whatever we're addicted to, that's a distraction to our spiritual path. And everybody has to fight that battle within themselves, that, that what is in the obstacle that we really know. So renunciation in some way is talking about that. The fourth parami is wisdom. So again, a wise being is the one who understands what seeds lead to happiness and what leads to freedom. They no longer are interested in cultivating suffering. So they no longer engage in actions that lead to it right? They only engage in actions that lead to joy, right? Because they know now, a wise person is able to discern. And that discernment takes time, it takes presence, it takes feeling what to do in each moment, right? So we, we learn that. Okay, so the fifth power of me, energy. We need a certain amount of energy to lead a spiritual life. Because You know, when they say waking up, what's the counter to that? Asleep, right? There's something that makes us have to kind of pay attention. We actually need practices that kind of wake us up. Like, okay, the mind is so sleepy, right? The forgetting is sleepiness. It's like, we're conscious for a moment, and then we're like, oh, it's too much. Good night. That also means we just behave in unconscious ways, right? We're just not... We're just not there a lot of times, okay? So energy is what we rouse, a sort of effort that we rouse to begin to learn and to pay attention, right? We rally. If you've ever gone on a meditation retreat, it takes some effort to get there. It takes effort to pay attention, right? We're going against the sleepiness of the mind and we have to kind of, they talk about going upstream, It's like we have to kind of go upstream, all the mind, our whole culture is going this way, and we're like, no, I'm gonna go this way now, right? We're going counter to it. And that takes a little bit of effort. It does, the the Buddha had tremendous effort. And many of my great teachers and other people at times, they rallied effort on the path. Sometimes it's more than others, and sometimes we need to balance it. It needs to be balanced effort right? I think it was Mushom once, she's from the Soto Zen tradition, you guys know Mushum, right? And she was telling me that in her lineage of the Soto Zen, like, she would read these ancient Japanese stories and these, they would go into retreats, like, ten of them, and then they would have these knives, and they would say, if anyone tries to leave, we kill you. (laughs) (laughs) And they would, like, commit to that. And then she said, like, death, right? And they would have to stay in this, like, enclosed little place, and they couldn't, like, sleep or eat much, and and they would sit with swords right here. So if you nodded off, it was like, you stab yourself. And she was like, yeah, that was really bad, all that. It, was, it became kind of like, you know, the Zen is known for the whacking. If your posture goes like this, the Zen master might come whack, right? Again, we don't do that here, but, but, you know apparently a lot of them were waking up right from that (laughs) some kind of intensity and everybody has a temperament that would never work with me even a strict way of being like sit walk sit even though I progressed in my heart I couldn't sustain that it wasn't really me it was like yeah I can't do this for the rest of my life sorry (laughs) even though things were moving in the way they wanted them I'm just I had to come back to Oakland, not quite me. <laughs> so at times we need energy. You can't, you know, we need to go against that force that's like, just lie down, right? That you know what I'm talking about, that go to sleep that is so pervasive. We have to kind of rally up a little bit of energy at times to wake up, to pay attention, to stay engaged. What's happening? What, what is my mind doing right now? And not just follow the trajectory, but to wake up. Is this true? What I'm thinking? What I'm doing? What am I like paying attention? We turn the light on. So that's very important. Okay, so the sixth one, so the perfection of energy. The sixth one is patience. Now we need infinite amounts of patience. We really do. Honestly, the amount of patience some of these great teachers had is amazing okay if i'm going to tell you another zen story just thinking of Musham right now and her zen stories from the soto tradition they would make you wanted to go learn meditation from a teacher they would make you sit outside the monastery for like weeks to see how serious you were can you imagine we made you like you came we locked it we're like no are you real do you really want this <laughs> it's so amazing and also my tibetan teachers Oh, reading books. I'm reading this fantastic biography of Dilgo Kiense Rinpoche. It's called Blazing Splendor. His biography of needing to ask his teacher a question and walking for eight months to get there. Can you imagine that kind of patience? And of course, when you walk eight months, what happens? You answer the question yourself. (laughs) Why? Because you're walking on the earth with nothing to do for eight straight months. You become present, right? You become, our lives are not filled with that kind of time. Right, everything here is just like ee, ee, it's like Vegas, right? That's <laughs> why the monkey loves it so much. Right, it's like everywhere we go, we're like ah, I might like that too. I can get caught in that at times, so I have to consciously pull back. That's why living in Peru was great for me in the jungle, no electricity, nothing, right? Just ah, here we are. There's something about coming into presence. Indigenous people become present because many of my teachers in the jungle, the Shipibos, you know what they did all day? They sat on their decks like this. They said, we're listening to the plants. And they had a lot of presence and they had patience. They were so patient with all the Westerners. They would just look at them and say, okay, oh yeah, well, there's nothing to do, just sit. Right? And we're all like, can you tell me? Can you give me the truth? Can you teach me what's going on with me? And they'd be like, just sit. <laughs> listen to the plants. <laughs> Which is like, listen to Gaia, basically, right? They were so funny. I learned so much from the Shipibos. They actually, in their own way, they were exactly like many of the, the teachers that were giving similar teachings in Asia. you know. And not to say every moment they were cultivating wisdom, but they had the ability to sit on the earth and become present. I saw that, there was a stillness there. And that stillness on its own is meditative. Doesn't matter if you're you know, contemplating something, if you're still, you're awake to something that the monkey is not awake to, right? So we, so we see that patience, be patient with yourself. We come back to the present moment over and over, right? It's like we're just training our minds and we don't grow up with these teachings. So it takes a while for it to seep into the the fiber of our beings to understand even what is present. We have to learn that teaching again and again. Like what is the present moment? What is this nowness? What is the power of this nowness that I hear about? We have to become familiar. We have to seep in that over and over again. The seventh parami, which is very interesting, is truthfulness. And this is an interesting one. They said that the Buddha never broke this ever in any of his lives. And one time he was giving his son, he had a son named Rahula from his marriage when he was a prince. And he ordained Rahula, and Rahula was maybe seven or eight years old. And Rahula went with him, and he became fully enlightened later. And he said to Rahula, there's a very famous sutta, he said, Rahula, please do not even lie as like a joke. Don't even do that, even if you're kidding, because you incline the mind towards deception. And if your mind is deceitful, you'll never get free, because you won't know the difference between truth and untruth, right? It's like we just weave all these tales, right, and then we're like, what am I thinking? What am I believing? Is this true? Is that? We become deluded, actually, when we ourselves speak things that are not true. Because you know what happens is we start believing our own lies. Have you ever seen that phenomenon where somebody tells a lie enough, they they do believe it after a period, even if it starts off being a joke, it's like suddenly you're, you're replaying it. So we have to think about truthfulness, like wow, what does that mean? To perfect that, to never speak anything that's not true, that's profound. So you see how you could take any one of these and spend a lifetime on it, right? So truthfulness is number seven. Okay, so we got them so far, you people who are writing them. Generosity is the first one, virtue, second one, third is renunciation, the fourth is wisdom, the fifth is energy, the sixth is patience, the seventh is truthfulness. Now the eighth is determination. Okay, so this is the unwavering belief in your own capability. This is to know that you have the jewel is in you. This is very important because it's very opposite to what we grow up in, which is sort of the original sin. Like you're you're already really messed up. Right. Good luck. Pray your way, which is the opposite in the Dharma. You're already enlightened, but you forgot. That's very hopeful, isn't it? Right. So the whole path becomes discovering that jewel in the lotus which is really that teaching. Like you are the jewel, you are the light is in you, and we have to keep on peeling that layer back. So determination is that determination that I'm going to reveal that, I'm going to manifest that. I'm going to keep practicing till that arises and I have that potential in me. So it's really important in that way. Okay, the ninth one is love, which we know is very powerful, the perfection of love and kindness. And the Buddha had all kinds of um, stories about perfecting that as an animal. And the collection of teachings I forgot earlier is called the Jataka Tales. So if some of you want to even Google Jataka Tales, you'll get all the stories of the Buddha's past lives. Many of them, and they're even turned into children's tales. Okay, and then the tenth is equanimity. Okay, so we have, these are the qualities that on your path, These are, this is the map of where we're going these 10 qualities. And we want to move in this direction. So you may want to take up one of these. Right now I'm working a lot with generosity. I started working with it very intensely when I came back from Peru. It's just something that started to move in me more and more and I started reflecting on it. And, but other times I've really taken on virtue. I've really taken on truthfulness at times. Because when I was younger, I was always shading things a little this way, and, you know, like, I just saw, like, right away, I was like, yeah, this one. <laughs> and I was a big storyteller as a kid. I'd make up huge stories and get everyone all freaked out, and I thought <laughs> it was funny. Because I was very believable as a small child. People would go, and often there were things like, I didn't like my stepbrother so I would say he was killed or I was bad anyway. <laughs> I have grown from that. But there was early seeds, and my parents my mother was lied constantly. So I was always having to tell lies to get things. You're Like why should I say that? You know I'd be like, "Oh yeah, we don't have this. We need a that, you know, and I was always. So they're asked if that was reinforced. But to get what you want you do the system you lie you say you need this even if you're okay you do you know so i grew up with that and so that was a habit to try to get something or you know you know how that mind is so i want to tell a really quick story because and we only have a few minutes left but i want to tell a story because i'm working on this pyramid uh generosity i want to tell you a story about king ashoka how many per- people have heard about that story of king ashoka Okay, I want to say there is this movie on Amazon that says it's about Ashoka. It's really a Hindu, beautiful love story, but it's not Ashoka. So I was like, no, this is nothing like the Buddha, the story. Okay, so Ashoka, because I think it has an important message in it. So Ashoka basically was um, a very powerful king in India, okay, after the Buddha died. And... He was ruthless, supposedly, for a period of his life. He would have huge wars, he would fight, you know, he was like, they called him like bloodthirsty. So the story happened to him where he was out on a battlefield basically surveying how he had just, you know, slayed this whole, you know, where, well, you know, wherever kingdom he wanted, he just took it. And he was looking at all these bodies, I would assume, and he was kind of horrified with himself and at that exact moment a monk walked slowly by through that so imagine that a battlefield and the there's this monk and that monk woke him up it was the violence and then this monk walking renunciate just full of peace he completely transformed something in that moment woke him up big time and he Devoted all his wealth, everything then, to the Dharma. He built thousands of temples. I mean, some of the biggest ones, even how they found these holy places that the Buddha's markers, or where he was born, where he died, were pillars built by King Ashoka to mark these different places. And he built thousands of nunneries. The Dharma exploded. His daughter even took some of the Bodhi tree and went to Sri Lanka, his son to Thailand. Like they just spread the meditation centers, mindfulness everywhere over India and Asia. So one day the Buddha was talking about King Ashoka and he said to his monks, they were saying, well, how did he get so wealthy? because right? he had vast wealth, maybe like billions of dollars. Right, he had, To become such a king, he accrued huge amounts of wealth, like huge. So he said, oh, I want to tell you a story then about Ashoka's previous life. Because the Buddha could see right into someone and see their future life and previous life and how the causes and conditions arose for them in a particular moment, rather painful or beautiful, he would share, like what led to that. And he said, oh, I saw his life right before, and I'll give you this teaching. So it's a sutta teaching that's really beautiful about it. And he said, when Ashoka in his previous life was a little boy, he was living with his mother in terrible poverty. They had nothing. And he loved his mother dearly. And it was just the two of them, his father had died, that added to the poverty situation. And so he was out one day and he was playing in some sand and he found this gold colored sand. And he became very excited. He thought that he had found gold. And some kids teased him and said, yeah, that's gold. You have gold, real gold. So he took it all and put it in this little container that he had or he made or something and he was carrying it along the road with every belief that he was going to give this to his mother that he just thought this is it and he had this really strong belief in that right that this was real gold and at that time they say that the buddha was alive and he was walking down the road so what they often describe the buddha with like 500 monks and nuns right? they went everywhere on foot so they were in a long line of people walking, right? And Ashoka was on the side of the road and he had his little, you know, cherished bowl of gold that he thought. And when he looked up, they said he saw this, the Buddha and his heart just leapt. And he felt overwhelmed with devotion. He started crying and he took the gold and that he thought he had, and he reached out and gave it to the Buddha. As the Buddha's passing, he said, here, I give this to you. Everything I have, I give to you. It was like spontaneous. And the Buddha reached down, and he saw right into his heart what that meant. He saw everything, right? Supposedly he saw that. And he received it as gold. He received it and he said thank you you know thank you I see that this gift means everything to you and you're giving it and the Buddha said because of that action it led to him having all that wealth mm-hmm. so understand that it's not about what you give ever it's how you give it we could give somebody a huge check and you could do it with like oh your, your company or you know how sometimes people give charitable donations, but it's like, oh, we need to save taxes, okay, give it to, what's that group? Or, duh, duh. you know, that kind of giving has no power in it. But if somebody gave someone the very only thing they had, even if it was one penny, they said that powerful gift, that seed planted in that moment is more powerful than a trillion dollars given in a kind of nonchalant, not caring way. There's some power in that. but not as much, so I always thought that that story was really interesting one, right? And also they say, I'll say the last couple of things. When I was studying about this perfection of generosity, they were say that giving to spiritual people is also a higher, a higher sort of, or a spiritual community makes your gift more powerful in some way because the people could lead to freedom, and those, that actually is the highest gift that anyone could do for the planet, is become free in some way. So to give to practitioners, to give towards spiritual organizations. So I always thought that was really interesting. So because one made a gift directly to a fully awake being in that way, I guess that was like, this is what the sutras say, was like, wow, superpower, generosity, karma. <laughs> but know that as we leave tonight, this teaching was just about to inspire you about what we're trying to do here and that these 10 seeds are the seeds that we want to be planting. Bottom line, right? This is These seeds, when perfected, lead to happiness. Even Not even perfected, even if you just attempted to practice them for short periods of time, whether you thought about it in a day, you took up one for a month, looked at it in a retreat, that these are what we are doing. This is where we want to go. So I want to end this talk by just saying may all of us be planting these beautiful seeds of happiness and freedom, not just for yourself, but for all of this. The more I plant, the more you reap. The more you plant, the more I reap. I build a garden, guess who gets the it? Everybody. You build a garden, we all benefit. This teaching is always about the collective, interconnectedness. We are not just affecting ourselves. We are affecting all beings by this practice. You cultivating this is for the benefit of all beings. It's very important that we remember this at this stage in our life and not get sucked into these other realities that are going on, right? Those otherworldly. So stay on course. We have to remember to stay on course here. So thank you, everyone, for listening with your hearts. And I hope this was some value. Mm. May we all wake up and perfect these 10 qualities quickly. Right, Kevin Yeah. Andre. <laughs> <laughs> OK. Take care. I'll see you guys
2: soon. Announcements. Oh, announcements. Yeah, uh, sorry.
1: Um, More, we have I'm lots. of microphone.
2: I just wanted to give two announcements uh, coming from two ref- deep refuges I belong to. Uh, the first announcement has to do with a teacher in our community named Shahar Godfrey. Um, as a, a lot of people in the community know, that she has been very sick um, with uh, a cancer, I believe. Uh, so sick to the point that she wasn't able to work uh, last year in for. A great amount of time, my leg is falling asleep. That's why I'm kind of, yeah, like that tingling sensation is coming coming along. Um, but anyway, she's in financial need, and so with the EBMC organization and the Awakening Deep Refuge, which I'm now a part of, um, has decided to do is decide to have a benefit in her honor to celebrate her life because, as I know it, she she died six times um, in her last, in her last uh, bout um, with this with this disease and through her treatments her treatments were particularly hard on her body and she's alive she survived that and she's actually she told me she said Kevin I want to come to the PLC community and I want to teach and I have a whole new perspective to offer so I'm looking forward to that personally but in the meantime, uh, we're gonna come together on July 16th, which is a Saturday. It's a benefit. Um, there's no cost to attend that benefit. You just come, and whatever you can give in form of Donna, in form of generosity, uh, we're, we're open to that, to receiving that. There's gonna be uh, musical entertainment from Melanie Damore, who I really love. And Eve Decker is also gonna provide musical entertainment. There's gonna be finger snacks and food um, for, our, for our pleasure and delight. So just please put it on the calendar. It's July 16th from seven from seven to nine, there you go. And the other, uh, I'm now switching hats to the Men of Color Deep Refuge. Uh, so all our men in this community, male-identified uh, practitioners, this is for you. Uh, every fourth Monday, starting in July, we're gonna come together and we're gonna have a sit and a community talk um, every fourth Monday from seven to nine, led by the Men of Color Deep Refuge. So please, let's just start creating a buzz about this. And we're still in the planning of this, so it's we're gonna have Um, A total of three sets: July, August, and September. And the theme is going to be survival, uh, resistance, and resiliency. And so the first, our first gathering is going to be focused on the survival piece of it. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, let's just connect. And one of the things that the women do in this community is come together, the sacred feminine, you know, exploring, you know, the femininity, the power of femininity. So it's time for us to start doing our part. So yeah, that's something I'm looking forward to, and that's two. That's the two announcements I have. Do anybody else have community announcements that they want to put out, out there? Larry and Pride. Larry's, in
1: pride. Larry's? and Pride. Larry's, yeah. Are the, and fresh. And, yeah,
2: fresh. and fresh. Do we still do we still have room to register for that? I think
1: so. I think they have to let Donna has something. Okay, Donna. Can I use the mic? Huh? Can
0: I use the mic? Yeah. Okay. So. um... So I, was, I totally relate to the idea that when I listen to a talk, I often go out the door and I forget. So it really helps me to write notes. And I thought about the 10 pyramids. and I want to give you a memory device to remember the 10 pyramids. Yes. Okay? It's a funny sentence because when, when you do little memory uh, tricks, it's got to be kind of odd. Yeah. So mine is... Good vampires really want to eat popcorn (laughs) to do life's effort, okay? So good, generosity, vampires, virtue, Virtue. really, renunciation, wanna, wisdom, eat, Energy. energy, energy, eat,
1: Popcorn, patience, Patience. (laughs) Two. truthfulness, do, determination,
0: life's, love, Love. Love. effort, 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 Effort. 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 there you go, (laughs) good vampires really want to eat popcorn to do life's effort, so when you walk out the door, think about Think about Very that fun. one. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Thank you.
1: Aww. Very good. Thank you,
0: everyone. Thank Thank you, Stephanie. I saw I sent you an email a while back about the Peru uh, thing. Oh, you doing? Yeah, a while back, and you responded, but you responded to an account that I didn't know I had. It was like an iCloud account, so I never checked oh, it. And then like this is, I don't know. But then and then I went back to it. And I was like, oh, she did this call, hey, you know? oh. So I'm doubling back on that. I'm still interested. I can only go in September. or starting. September.
1: Yeah, September. Yeah, September's good. Actually, July is
0: pretty much good. Yeah. September's yeah, good. You should email me again. Yeah, I'll make sure I have your
1: right email. Yeah, I'll send
0: it from, because sometimes when I send it from my phone, it goes automatically to that account. So I have to be intentional about it. what account I can it send it from so that yeah. I know what I'm checking um, So yeah. yeah. I've been in, I've been a little insecure about the, the ayahuasca aspect of yeah. it. Um, um, but I just you know I just keep it on my mind and it just keeps telling right. me like all <laughs> you need to do. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit DharmaSeed.org slash donate.